new year. Amen? Yes. What a blessing it is to survive another year, especially the conditions that we sometimes find ourselves in. Amen? Before I get started uh, preaching this morning, one of the things I'm going to do since this is the first sermon of a new year is I'm going to be talking in the, uh, around the middle of this message. I'm going to be talking about the core values of Promise of Victory. And one of them is commit. And so we have had in this past quarter six new people take the expand class and become members of our fellowship. And we want to we wanna welcome our new members, Michelle and Roger and Joe, William, Tina, and Kate. We welcome you. Thank you for joining our family. We look forward to serving the kingdom with you. So this, these are our new members. But no, more importantly than that, we're family here, and, and when you commit to a family, you're committing to everything that it takes to make the family operate, amen? I'm going to talk about that in a little while. If you uh, uh, give me somewhere between seven and a half minutes and two hours, I'll get this message out, and uh, since, it, since it's a, a new beginning of a new series that I'm going to start this morning, so how many of you, when you go to bed, have dreams? Does anybody, okay, some of you have dreams. Most of you have dreams. I, I know I do dream. I just don't ever remember them. I'm just kind of one of them people. I know I do it. Uh, I kind of have a flash of it when I first wake up, and then I forget everything about it. So I know I dreamed. I'm not one of these people that can wake up and write it all down. I'm just not. Does anybody ever have weird dreams? Uh, okay, I see some hands. Okay. So there are some common dreams. When you do some research about dreams, there's some dreams that are very common. I had a dream when I was five years old that I still vividly remember, and it, it turns out it's a very common dream. Maybe you've had this one. Have you ever dreamed you were falling? So I was five years old. I had a dream one time that I was falling, and I still remember it. Like, I can still emotionally connect with that dream, that the, the feelings I had while I was falling. Turns out a lot of people have that same dream. It's a very common dream, the falling part. Hardly anybody ever lands. According to research, uh, very few people ever remember landing. Sometimes people dream that somebody's chasing them. You ever have that dream? Uh, how about going to class and there's a test that you didn't know was going to happen so you're not prepared for it? Anybody ever have that dream? Uh, that's, a, that's a common dream as well. Um, there's another dream that a lot of people have, and they say it is the most common dream of all the dreams that are reported. And it is in some form or fashion, you are stuck. Does anybody ever have a dream that you're stuck? You're trying to move forward. You're trying to move to a new place. You're trying to get to where you want to be, but you can't seem to move. Some people are stuck in like quicksand. Some people are chained to something. And they're trying to move forward, but they are stuck. Now the truth is, and the reason I have came to preach this morning, is in some people's life, that's not a dream that's reality, that you are stuck in place. The new year, we're always setting goals and resolutions and things like that. And some of you, no matter how hard you try to change, it doesn't work. You're stuck. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You try to make changes, but you end up either where you started or some of us, God forbid, end up farther back. We say we're going to lose weight, we gain 10. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Some of us say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray more this year, and then you get to the end of the year, and you realize, I, I, I haven't prayed in a year. Instead of getting better, we get worse. Some of us are desperate for change to take place, but we are stuck. Does this resonate with anybody, or am I just, okay, okay. You, nobody wants to raise their hand. Did you notice that? When I said anybody dream, 50 hands went up. I said anybody stuck? I, I, no, but nobody wants to commit to it. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you out. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and let you off the hook. If you're not stuck, your neighbor is. So I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the one beside of you, okay? This year, even though I'm not a big proponent of things changing just because the calendar flips, I don't think that that has anything to do with anything. I don't think God's seasons work that way. And I don't personally think that you're going to make huge changes just because January came. However, I think God wants us to have a revelation about doing more than we think we're capable of doing. I have felt in my spirit for a few months now that this coming year, we are supposed to start thinking about doing things that we thought were impossible before now. The church as a whole, not just our church, but just the church as a whole, has been real good about winning souls but not very good at making disciples. And so when we think about the church being what it's supposed to be, a lot of people come to church and they hear the gospel and they want to believe and change their lives, but they don't know how. I'm, I, listen, when I tell you that you're stuck, I'm not casting stones at you. I'm telling you that in some form or fashion, we've all been there. We all want to do better for Jesus. We all want to believe harder. We, we want to pray more uh, passionately. We want to have greater faith. But to be perfectly honest, we know how to say a prayer to get into the kingdom, but we really don't know what it takes to become more powerful in God. We're stuck. So being stuck is not the end of the world. What is important is that you're not satisfied being stuck. So people come to church and they hear, the, they hear the gospel and they join the church. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I came up in the old church. What do you mean with, by the old church? I mean, I came up in the old hardline Pentecostal churches where when you join the church, you got a list of do's and don'ts. And so when we joined the church, we had the joy of the Lord, but we lived like we was miserable. Be because... When you don't teach people how to get unstuck, they, all they do is try to follow a list of rules without having a real relationship with the one who saved them. And so they are trying to put on a face when they come to church on Sunday, but they don't know how to live it through the rest of the day with the joy of the Lord being their strength. So I'm not going to give you a list of rules. I'm past that. I've been doing this long enough now that I realize that we can't just smile and try to be nice and read our Bible. I, we, used to, we used to get people saved and say, go to church, read your Bible, and pray. And I still believe that's important. However, a lot of folks read their Bible and don't even know what they're reading because we haven't made disciples. We've gotten people saved, but we haven't taught them about the Lord. So a lot of people, when you say, just read your Bible, that doesn't help them because they don't understand exactly what it is that they're reading. So they're trying to follow a bunch of rules. They're trying to play nice with each other. But we're not teaching them how to make lifelong changes. And this morning, I'm going to begin a new series. 
And it's going to take a while. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. It's going to take a while. I'm going to include a study in this, within this sermon series where I'm going to study my, my favorite book of the Bible. We're going to go all the way through the book of James, my favorite book of the Bible. And it's going to contain sermons that are going to show you how to change. Because I believe that God has given me in this season a mandate to teach people how to grow in Him. I want you to learn how to live the life that God wants you to live. How you can live to please Him. Does anybody still interested in pleasing the Lord? I mean, okay, I, I'm glad I'm in the right place this morning. Because I know, I, I know it seems like that we got to the point where uh, we got so uh, worldly centered that we forgot that we still have to live to please the Lord. So this series is called Relevant Faith. And we're going to explore a lot of things that faith is supposed to do in your life. But it's not what some of you think. When I tell you that we're going to do relevant faith study, I, I, I don't want you to pref I, I want to preface that by saying faith is more than you just walking around claiming victory. Walking around speaking in tongues and naming and claiming stuff. That, that, that is what we have, re we have relegated faith to one scripture. Does anybody have any idea where it is, all my Bible scholars? Hebrews 11 and 1, right? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And we have relegated faith to that one scripture. But I want you to know that if faith hasn't changed you, you claiming that God is going to do great things in your life hasn't helped you at all. Faith ought to change the way you think. Faith will change the way you talk to people, the way you respond in difficult situations. If your faith has not made you a nicer person, then you need to just stop asking God for all of these miracle signs and wonders and start asking Him to start a miracle inside yourself because that's where faith is supposed to begin. A lot of charismatic Pentecostal people, they want to walk around claiming signs and wonders and laying hands. I've had people lay hands on me, and I know good and well I don't want what they got. So, <laughs> help me, Jesus. That's another sermon for another time. Uh, what I'm trying to say is there, there are things that need to happen in you before you start claiming great, big, mystical things around you. So, so Mark chapter 10 is where I'm going to begin this morning's message. Uh, this series is going to take a while. I'm not going to get in any hurry. Uh, one thing about being a pastor is you know that uh, unless the Lord changes your calling and takes you away that, or the rapture comes, uh, you don't have to be in any hurry to get a sermon series done. So Mark chapter 10 beginning with verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you must know the commandments. Uh-huh. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing. Look at your neighbor and say one more thing. Uh, just, one, just one more thing. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this point, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had many possessions. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how can I receive eternal life? I want to receive. Jesus' answer was, you have to release. In order for you to receive what you are looking for, you're going to have to learn how to release what you already have. That's the first sermon in this series. I'm going to kick off this entire series with this thought. First of all, I want you to know that I believe personally, through study of the Scripture, that Jesus had three mission statements. You all know them. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall what? Believe in him will have eternal life, right? Luke chapter 19, the Bible says Jesus came with one mission, to seek and to save that which was lost. And I think that the other, the third part of his mission statement is John 10, 10. The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and it is abundant it is full it has purpose here's what I believe a lot of people have came to church through the years and have received John 3 16 a lot of people have come to church through the years and have looked at Luke 19 and said yes I was lost but now I'm found I was blind and now I see amazing grace how sweet the sound but not very many of us can say I have an abundant Christian life. I didn't say you were doing well at work. I didn't say that you're not doing well in, with the PTA or, or your kids are, are in the best colleges. No. How is your spiritual life? Do you feel full? Do you, because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That word abundantly simply means fullness. Jesus wants you to be full of him. He wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit. And you know what that means? That means you ought to be full of joy. You, you ought to be full of power. You ought to be full of faith. Does that describe you? Don't, 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 don't get mad at me already. Don't check out on me already. Because, listen, what you believe matters. And if you believe that life is all about sorrow, and I'm just an old pilgrim trying to get through these days, that's the life you're going to end up with. That's going to be your testimony. What you believe matters. What you believe creates your choices, and your choices create your outcomes. So if you want a different outcome, maybe you need to rewind back to the choices that you've been making. So that means right here today, I'm going to say it again, right here today, you can make one choice that can change your entire world. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait, well, I'm going to start fasting tomorrow. No, no, listen to me. You can make one choice today that can revolutionize your marriage. Do you know that? Do you know that you have to stop blaming everybody else for what's going on in your world? Because you can change something today. You can make one decision today. One choice about how you think about your marriage. How you think about your spouse. And it would change the trajectory of your life. One choice to honor God with your finances today could change the trajectory of your entire financial situation. One choice. Just one choice. Now, I want to begin this series with a simple question. Is your life everything you want it to be? And if it's not, what are you willing to do about it? 
If you are happy and as full of God as an Alabama tick, then this sermon's probably not going to be for you. But if anybody in here is like me, and you know that you could use a little more Jesus, you could use a little more of his presence, you could use a little more of his power, you could use a little bit more of an overcoming presence in your life, then this sermon's going to be for you. I want you to, to buckle in because it's a long, bumpy ride between here and the end of this sermon. This, this series is going to challenge you intentionally. And here's why. At some point, you need you to be fully committed to the idea of change. I can't inspire you. You can hire a coach. You, you can hire a mentor. You can go to all the websites. that. Have, but until you get you on board, nothing's going to change in your life. So I'm going to be challenging you to stop looking around you and start looking inside of you. Because you are what has been stopping you from getting better. Uh, Jesus said, I want you to live your best life in me. Your joy should be full. So I'm going to warn you, I'm probably going to get on your last nerve. I'm glad you're here today. I hope you come back. But I'm probably going to get on your nerves. I'm going to give you an example of that. You ever had your GPS set to go somewhere, and then you see the hot light is on at Krispy Kreme? You know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you saw a Chick-fil-A sign, and, and, and all of a sudden, you, you, you're going to take a little detour that you didn't plan on? You didn't put Krispy Kreme into the GPS. The GPS knows what your destination's supposed to be. That's all it knows. So you get off the exit because that hot light's on, and who can resist the hot light? And you get off the exit, and what's that little voice start doing? Irritating you. Turn right at the next light. Make a U-turn as soon as possible. Go up to the light, take a right, take the next right. Hey, dummy, make a U-turn. Well, I'm going to be that little voice. For the next many months, as I preach this sermon series, I'm going to be that little voice in your head saying, hey, dummy, make a U-turn. You are heading the wrong direction. I only care about your destination. You may take some detours. You may get off track. But I know where you're supposed to be. And by the way, spiritual maturity means that you are willing to hear folks speak into your life that you know care about you and don't get mad and angry and sideways with them when they look at you and say, hey, you're heading the wrong way. You need to turn around. You know better than this. As a matter of fact, you need some folks in your life that have the power to speak into you and say, you are better than this. You know you're living in a, in a world that is beneath what God's purpose is for you. That's what my job is during this sermon series. I'm going to be that pebble in your shoe. And I'll give you a fair warning. If you get serious about applying God's Word to your life, God's Word will mess you up. You should never come to church where the Word is preached and leave feeling like somebody was your cheerleader for 60 minutes. You ought to feel a little bit stirred up about something. Because we've all got something. Make no mistake about it, you may be farther along than you were when you started, but you still got some work to do. Amen. So the Word of God will stir you up. It'll mess with you a little bit. I've decided that I'm at a stage in my walk with God where I don't want to talk about my faith anymore. I don't want to have to tell you how much faith I have. 
I want to live my faith out loud. I want to live my faith in front of people, and instead of me talking about it, let them talk about it. This is where I'm at. See, see, and that's what this series is designed to do because most of the church people that I have known knew a lot of Scripture, but they were short on results. They quoted Scripture they didn't live. They were good at telling other folk what they should be doing, but they have no actual track record of accomplishing much themselves. And the goal of this series is for us to become living words. Yeah, hear me. When, when people see your life, they don't need to read Scripture to know God is up to something because they'll see what God is up to by looking at you. That's what this series This series, is, it, 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 we're done playing. Children's Church is down the hall. The nursery is over here. In this room, we're done playing. We're ready to grow. Is anybody ready to grow in the Lord? Because I'm going to be honest with you, it's 2022. We're about to wrap this thing up. Jesus Christ is about to come back and snatch those of us that are ready and take us back. But he's coming back for a prepared bride, not a pretend bride. And, and the fact of the matter is, if Christians in 2022 are the only Bible that the world is going to read, most Christians aren't showing the world enough Jesus to make the world want to fall in love with Jesus. I didn't say you don't invite folks to church. I'm talking about how do you perform your Christian duties in front of other people. Listen, you should not leave tracks when you go out uh, to eat and think that that's preaching for you. That little waitress that came over that's got three kids at home and she's trying to pay all her bills on the tips that are left behind. Listen, don't quote Malachi to her. She's already read the Bible. It was you. That sorry tip you left, that, that snotty attitude you have, oh, y'all not going to help me. I told you I'm going to get on your nerves. I already warned you. That little 27-cent tip you left on a $75 bill and the snotty attitude you had when they was five minutes late and getting your drink refilled, she already read the Bible. And, and, and so leaving a track on, on her table about Malachi is not going to help her uh, understand Jesus any. Uh, don't, don't go to your kids and your grandkids' baseball game in the summertime and invite folks to church because they are already reading the Bible. They hear what you're saying to the refs. They hear what you're saying to the other kids. They hear how you're talking about the coach. They're already reading the Bible. So you, there's no need in you just inviting them to come to church or handing them a scripture tract or something of that sort because this series is going to be for the folks who have decided that they are ready to go to another level. And when I start talking about relevant faith, some of y'all think I'm going to bring you up here and teach you how to lay hands on the sick and how to cast out devils. Can I tell you that some of us are so far behind that that we don't even need to be talking about that right now. You need to learn how to be a, a good witness when you go to work. Forget casting out devils you can't cast out a devil that you take home with you y'all not gonna help me I want to preach this year to folks that if Jesus chooses to leave us here another 12 months when you get back here this time next year you realize I have grown I may not have arrived yet but I am better now than I was this time last year does anybody want that to be their testimony so Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 39, reads like this. Jesus is telling his disciples, if you love your father or your mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, 
you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Here's Jesus talking about giving again. He told the rich young ruler, he said, if you want to receive something, you've got to be willing to release something. Here he is again. Here's Jesus talking about if you give something, you'll gain something. But can I tell you that we have the wrong mindset about giving? Because you never give God anything and lose it. If you give something to God, you're not losing anything. You're just opening up your hand. And the problem that we have is that we're trying to serve the Lord with closed fists. Jesus said if you want a new life, a better life, you got to be willing to open your hand and let go of the old one because the old one ain't taking you where you want to go. So in order for you to get a, a life that is abundant, that is full, that is victorious, where you're a conqueror and an overcomer, you're never going to do it by clutching the old life. He said the old life has to be gone so I can give you a new life. Before you receive anything, you have to let go of what you're holding on to. Before God can put anything in your hand, you have to let go of what's already in your hand. Because releasing makes room for receiving. Releasing makes room for... Jesus said if you want to hold on to your life, that's all you're going to get. But stop coming to me telling me that you want something else. Because the sower... The Bible is full of t stories about sowing seeds. And the sower has the seed in his hand. But until he releases the seed, it is impossible for anything to ever grow. Over and over and over again, the Bible teaches us that if you give him something, he gives you something better back. Can I tell you that God is the worst horse trader? Anybody know what horse traders are? I grew up around people that they, they, didn't, they bartered with, with things. They didn't pay cash for stuff. My dad and all of his friends, they'd trade a set of truck tires for a, 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 a cattle gate. It, they were always bartering. God is the worst horse trader. You know why? Because he says, you bring me your worst and I'll give you my best. What kind of sense does it make? God said, if you bring me the worst thing that you have in your life, if you bring me the worst possible scenario, I'll take it and I'll give you a life that is overcoming, a life that is rich, a life that is happy, a life that is full of joy. He said you can stay a drunk if you want to stay a drunk. You can stay a harlot if you want to stay a harlot. You can stay in the, in the mess that you've created. But if you'll give me that old life, I'll give you one that is better. I'll give you one that is secure. So here in this passage, he says you've got to give up your old life if you want to find a new life. Releasing allows you to create the space you need to make room for something new. I'm going to leave that up for just a second. Releasing allows you to create the space you need to make room for something new. How many, uh, I'm about to start a war in the, in the church, okay? But you get, listen, I'm not done preaching, so you can't start fisticuffs just yet. How many Apple people do we have in here? 
How many got Apple phones? Uh, okay, see, I know the, same, the Android people about ready to claw your eyeballs out. You want to start a fight? It used to be Ford and Chevrolet. Nope, not anymore. It's Apple and Android. So, so all of my Apple people in here, how many of you have ever seen this? How many of you ever got that alert? Isn't that frustrating? Uh-huh. That means I got to get rid of some things that I've been holding on to so I can make room for some stuff that I'm trying to add. Uh, see, see, I just, I did a whole lot of preaching right there and it went right over your head because y'all still mad about the whole Android stuff. See, what that, what that sign tells you on your phone is the same thing that I'm here to tell you in your spirit life. The stuff you have, you needed it at one point. There was a time in your life that you needed the stuff that you have, but you have outgrown some of them old apps. Some of that stuff that you added back then, you needed it back then, but you have came to a new place where that is no longer necessary, and your phone is telling you that if you want to add stuff, that stuff don't have value to you anymore, but if you're trying to add some value to your life, you're going to have to be willing to delete some of the old files so you can add some value now. Uh-huh. So if you want the life that God has for you, it won't happen until the old life gets deleted. Hallelujah. See, here's the struggle. It's not that you don't want a new life. It's, it's, listen, you can sell Jesus to anybody. Think about it. He loved you enough. He died for you. You don't have to pay for anything. Everything is already done. That's a good. Selling Jesus is easy. People want a new life. What they don't want to do is let go of the old one. Anybody, anybody that you are, are halfway competent about witnessing to, they want a new life in Jesus. What they don't want to do and where the struggle is, is they don't want to let go of the one they've had. Because we don't want to give up the old one. So we keep one foot in the kingdom and we try to have one foot back there in the world which leads to two realities. So on Sunday morning, it's all about King Jesus. And come Friday night, you turned up. Y'all not going to help me. And you wonder, you wonder why the things Jesus promised you was going to happen in your life aren't happening. But the Bible says a double-minded person is unstable in every area of their life. John, or Paul the Apostle said, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm still alive because it's not me who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And while that may be the case on Sunday, some of y'all are crucified with Christ on Sunday, but you leave this building and start giving CPR back to your old life. And you start trying to revive that old life because you really don't want to lose it. Because if you lose the old life, you're familiar with that. That's the, that's, that's the habits. That's the touch that you're familiar with. And you're afraid to let go of what you're familiar with. When God's trying to get you to embrace something new, but the problem is if you've got a death grip on this, you can't grab the new. So he's constantly trying to get you to trade what is sorry and broken and disgusting and perverted 
for something that is an overcoming life and newness and victorious and has all the faith that you need. And he says, I want to give you this life that is abundant and it's full and it'll put a smile on your face and it'll forgive you of your sins and it'll wash you whiter than snow. And we say, I want that, but God, can I bring this too? And he says, no. You've got to be willing to release to receive. Is this helping anybody? So when it comes to fruitfulness, if you don't let go, it cannot grow. When it comes to fruitfulness, if you don't let go, it cannot grow. Think about your kids for a minute. A lot of people, when their kids grow up and leave the house, they lose their identity. Because their identity was, I am so-and-so's mother. I am such-and-such's daddy. And when the kids leave the house, they lose their identity because here's what they think. I don't know what I'm going to do when my kids are gone. And that's where you made a mistake. They wasn't your kids. They were loaned to you. you. I know you carried them. I know you created them. But had it not been for the Lord on your side, just ask Abraham and Sarah, you can't make something out of nothing unless God gets involved in the mission. So the purpose of your children was not to be your children. The purpose of your children was they were loaned to you for you to guide them through the next 18 years. And then hear me, you have to release them to let them grow. Oh, all of my parents shut down on me right there. Some of y'all stubbed up at me and won't be back because you just got mad at me. And then some of y'all are like, amen. Hallelujah. I signed up for 18. <laughs> You have to let it go to let it grow. See, we're not here to hold things. We have to release things in order to receive something better. Some people say, well, I'm holding on to my money. It's not your money. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means everything, even what you're sitting on in your wallet, even what is at the bank with your name attached to the account, it belongs to the Lord. He gives you a little bit of stewardship, ownership over it for you to use, but he intends for you to use it for his glory. It's not your smile. It's not your body. The Bible says you were bought with a price. So, so there are some things that you need to release. Amen? For, for instance, some of you need to release your testimony. You're an undercover Christian. We got enough we got enough 007 Christians that the only folks that know you serve the Lord are the ones you go to church with. You, some of you need to release your testimony. Some of you need to learn how to release your prayer. Some of you need to learn how to release your tithes and your offerings. And some of you need, need to learn how to release encouragement to other people. But then there's some of us that need to release things that aren't valuable. Toxic things. Unhealthy things. Some of us are holding on to things that are taking up space and we can't add anything valuable because of all the space that the negative, toxic things are taking up. There's no room for God to put anything new because you're holding on to bitterness. You're holding on to unforgiveness. You're still holding a grudge against the one that did you wrong. Some of you, listen, I know it's Sunday morning, I don't want to get all up in your business. But some of you need to learn how to release the pain of your past. 
The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who serve the Lord. That means whether you had that baby outside of wedlock or not, there is no condemnation. That means if you've been divorced, there is no condemnation. You may have had an affair, you may have been a drug addict, whether you were a bad mom, you may have been an absentee father. I'm going to tell you, that don't make any of it okay. All of it is wrong, but once you have repented and turned from your wicked ways, don't let the enemy use that to defeat you for the next 10 years of your life. You're not saying what I did was okay, but what you're saying is I'm not going to give the devil space that I need God to pump into me. I'm not going to give the devil room in my head and in my thoughts to take up about things. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to release my past. Can somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise? So I'm going to use a little illustration here. My wife didn't want me to use this. Um, I borrowed this from Ron. My wife said it's too dirty to use. But uh, it's a dirty bucket. And in this bucket, I've got seeds. How many of you know that as long as I hold this seed in my hand or I leave it in that bucket, a seed's all it's ever going to be? Now, how many of you also know that a seed has potential? But as long as I leave it where I found it, its potential will never be met. As a matter of fact, every time I hold a seed, I'm holding the only thing it's ever going to be. Uh huh. So if I keep them in my hand, the potential is wasted. And in order for me to get this seed to be what it's supposed to be, I have to be willing to release them. So some people say, I'm waiting on my blessing. I hear it all the time. I see it on Facebook all the time. I'm waiting on my blessing. He already gave it to you. It's called a seed. Oh, it got quiet. My whole amen committee resigned on that one point. You're waiting on your blessing. What are you waiting for? He already gave you your blessing. He has put the seed of potential inside of every one of you. And the problem that we have is we want to hold on to the seed in case we need it when the seed is the key to the breakthrough that you're waiting on. Uh-huh. So, so if you keep it in your hand, it'll never become anything. If you eat this one seed, it won't even fill your belly. But if you plant it, If you plant it, not only will it feed you, it'll give you more seeds so you can replant, and it'll feed everybody connected to you if you plant it. So I want to I sow some seeds and watch them grow. You ready? Okay. That, that's what you're supposed to do. But nothing seems to be happening. Oh, I know what I got to do. That'll work. So you're supposed to, you're supposed to water seeds and watch them grow. 
it didn't work. Maybe the problem's not the seed. Maybe the problem is the place. See, 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 did you know that you can have a good seed, but if you put it in the wrong place, nothing will ever grow? Because what is around the seed will determine what is within the seed ever comes out of the seed. Ah. Pastor's about to get all up in your grill. Because you have to understand that your environment matters. So if you're not growing, you might want to ask yourself, what is my environment like? Because some people think that being in the right place on Sunday is all they need to do, but they're in the wrong place on Friday. So what does your place look like? Because if you're putting good seed in the wrong place, it's never going to grow. Even if you put the water of the Holy Spirit on it, even if you quote scripture, I can get down here and lay hands on every one of these seeds in the name of Jesus. I'll, I'll speak in tongues. I'll call things that are not as though they already are. In the name of Jesus, rise from the deep. I prophesy these dead seeds will live. The valley of dead, dry seeds come to life. Speaking in tongues. I lay my Bible on it, anoint it with oil. It's never going to be anything except what it is because it's in the wrong place. You take your seed that God has given you that has life and potential and value in it and you put it in the wrong atmosphere. You put it in the wrong environment. You keep quoting scripture. It ain't going to grow. I give myself, that's good preaching, preacher. Because listen to me, if you got God in this house but not in your house, you're not going to have any growth. If you hang out with Christian folks here but the world everywhere else and do like they do everywhere else, you ain't going to grow. So you can keep coming to church and learning scripture and amening and can I get a amen, can I get a hallelujah, and you go, woo, that's good preaching, preacher, and then put it all over Facebook. But if you are in the wrong environment, your seed will not grow. So you have to know that whatever you sow, wherever you sow, that's the down payment on what you're going to get back. You don't plant watermelon and harvest coconuts. What you sow is exactly what you reap. The life of the harvest is in the seed. That's why some of you have been doing stuff for a long time and you're frustrated because it don't work. You're frustrated. Why, well, I've been praying for a financial breakthrough. How many of you know prayer is important, but prayer is not the seed for finances? Money is the seed for finances. But you, you don't want to let go of the... Oh, Y'all not going to help me. You got a seed in your hand called a paycheck. And you don't want to let it go. So the easy thing to do is say, Lord Jesus, help me. Sweet baby Jesus in the manger. I claim my mortgage to be paid off. Sweet baby Jesus is Mother Mary and all the wise men. I claim that that banknote that I'm behind six months on is going to get forgiven. 
And he says, what's in your hand? But I'm praying. Prayer's important. But prayer is not the seed to what you want. Prayer is not the seed to a better marriage. Should you pray about your marriage? Absolutely. But you might want to check your attitude too. Because you're getting back exactly what you put out. So you can't just pray, God help my marriage. Because really what you're saying is, God help this nitwit that I'm married to. Change everything about him that I don't like. And let him come back to me on crawling on hands and knees and beg my forgiveness. That's what you're really saying. But if you really want a healthy marriage, humble yourself, the Bible says, and the Lord will lift you up. Hello. Notice how quiet it gets every time I start getting serious. People complain about their jobs because they show up every day expecting to get something, but they haven't sown anything. Well, I'm not appreciated. What have you sown? Well, I should, be, I should get the promotion. What have you sown? Have you just showed up and collected, or have you actually contributed something? Stop looking for a harvest where you have not sown anything. That's the problem with a lot of marriages. Nobody has sown anything since the honeymoon. Whatever you sow comes back to you. That includes all the negative stuff that you give out. Oh, 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 listen, you weren't afraid to give that attitude. You weren't afraid to give them a piece of your mind. But you didn't like it when it came back. But whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Why did all your friends suddenly start gossiping about you and start hanging out without you at the same time you lost your job, at the same time the car broke down, at the same time the roof started leaking, then the dog ran away? Because it's harvest time. You've been sowing to the wind and you are reaping a whirlwind. Nobody preaches like this no more. I can tell by the shocked look on your face. You've not heard this kind of preaching in quite some time. And that means i got to move on. Because some of you are too full and because some of you are too frustrated, so i got to move on. But I need you to know, as we work through this series, that your life is not God's fault. You can keep blaming Him, but the fact is, He hasn't done what He said He would do because He's holding you responsible for not sowing what you want. Because the Bible still says this, Genesis 8 and 22, it still says this. As long as the earth remains, that's today. There will be planting and harvest. Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. As long as the earth is here, this is going to apply. You cannot sow whatever you want and pray for crop failure. doesn't work that way. Whatever you put in, it's coming back to you. And there's a lot of good reasons to be part of a great church. You need the church. We need to be in community of fellowship of believers in these last days. And there's a lot of reasons to be part of a church. And promise of victory, coming into this year, I want to introduce who we are. Because we have four priorities, four core values. The first one is, come. Be part of the service. My, my gift set doesn't matter if you're not here to receive it. 
The, the, the praise team is talented. We love the musicians and the singers. But their, their gifts will go unnoticed and unused if you don't come and participate in service. The second thing is connect. Come and connect. Connect with each other. God created us to be social creatures. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. You need to be around other people that believe and are heading where you want to go. So come and connect. The third thing is commit. I want you to commit to two things. I want you to commit to the fellowship of believers. If you've got a talent, don't sit on it. Use it. This house needs it. The world needs it. So, so when you come here, we've got ministries coming out of our ears. I've got ministries I haven't even started yet because I don't have anybody to do it. So, so, so commit, you come, you connect, you commit, you get involved, you get your hands dirty. Why? Because Jesus is coming back, and we need to get as many people as possible to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? But before you commit to help the house, you need to commit to help yourself. This word that I'm preaching this morning will get you out of the funk you've been in. But you have to commit to change. If you are a uh, person that likes to go to the gym, you're probably a sicko. And then there's a lot of us that do the gym thing, not because we like it, but because we know we need it. But there is one gym that are marketing geniuses. It's Planet Fitness. Their, their slogan was, a gym for the rest of us. And they are marketing geniuses. You know why? Look what it says up there. No commitment. That's a gym I can get down with. What are you going to the gym for? Not to make a commitment. <laughs> so I don't know, really, I don't know if they still do it because I don't go to Planet Fitness. But I heard that they used to have pizza and warm cookies at the counter at the gym. Some of you can testify to that. So, so here's what Planet Fitness's idea is. Hey, if you would, set them over here, Brother Todd. Thank you, sir. So here's what Planet Fitness says. Hey, if you want a place to look cute in your workout clothes, but you don't really like the sweat. Like you want to come and watch pe let people watch you walk in and out of the gym and think that you put in a day's work. This is the place for you. No commitment. Like, like we've got all the stuff here. If you, if you, if you want to reach your potential, like we got the weights and the treadmills, and the elliptical, and some other machines that don't nobody know how to use. Like, like if you want to reach your potential, we got the stuff here. But don't feel no pressure about using it. We're going to give you some pizza and cookies to get you to keep coming back. No commitment. And there's a whole lot of Planet Fitness churches out there. There's a lot of churches, there's a lot of preachers that preach messages that are like Planet Fitness. We're going to give you some sweets and some carbs, make you feel high when you come and high when you leave, keep you coming back, but no commitment. You ain't in one of them churches this morning. It, it, 
We're not like that. So, 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 so commit. Commit to changing you. It, the rest of my sermons will be easier if you just make a commitment. And the fourth thing that Promise of Victory Core Value is, is contribute. Jump in and, and help because you're valuable. You are valuable. So we come, we connect, we commit, and we contribute. Notice there's no complain. I didn't add that one to the list. I love my church. I love our church. We are trying, and here's what we're, this is our goal for the new year. We are trying to become the community hope dealer. We got enough dope dealers in the area. We're trying to become the area and the community hope dealer. And we got three things we're focusing on in this next season. Everybody is somebody. Nobody's perfect. And anything's possible. That's what we want people to find when they come to this church. Luke, or Exodus chapter 19, begin with verse 10. Here's what the Bible says. If you want to if you, if you go to the next level, I know I've preached a long time. Are you okay? Because this is the first, it seems like every series I start, the first sermon's always the long one. And then all the rest of them are long too. And uh, are you all right? Because I got one more thing I want to share with you. Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and See, this is what God spoke to me about three months ago about this coming year. Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. He didn't say have church. He said go down and prepare my people for my arrival. How do you do that? Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary. I'm going to say that again. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people. Be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put, hey, that's pretty serious, put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, the people can go up. When the trumpet sounds the people that have put up the right boundaries mm, the folks that have put up the boundaries and kept themselves consecrated are going to go up I thought I might get an amen right there he said tell the people to wash their clothes consecrate themselves by putting boundaries up and he said if anybody crosses the boundary if they on the other side don't touch them oh I just preached to somebody right there if they're on the wrong side of the boundary don't touch them 
because they're unclean and you won't make them clean, they'll make you dirty. He said, I'm coming down from my throne to Mount Sinai and before I do, tell the people, sanctify themselves, clean themselves up. And when they hear the trumpet, he said, I'm going to show up. And when I get there, they better be clean. But he said, in order to keep yourself clean, you got to put barriers up, boundaries. And these barriers was the line between life and death. The interesting part was, God didn't tell Moses where to put the boundaries. He let Moses decide where to set them. Because God wanted Moses to secure himself and his people. And sometimes boundaries have to be pushed back because you didn't realize where you set up camp the first time was in the wrong area. So he told Moses, make sure you are in control of the boundaries. See, the church used to have barriers. The church used to have boundaries. We used to preach from the pulpit about sin. And then all the church growth experts told us we had to quit preaching about sin and quit preaching about the blood because we was going to offend folks. I said, I would to God people would get offended by their sin. Me getting offended by my sins what got me unsaved. I had to get offended. I enjoyed my sin. I, hear, I used to hear the old-timers testify all the time. You, those of you who have been with me a long time, you've heard me tell this story. I, when I went to the old church, you know, when I was just a young Christian, I used to hear the old-timers stand up and say, Oh, I was an old wretched sinner, and I, I was lost and undone, and I was, I was miserable. And I used to look at them going, Then you was doing it wrong. Because I'm just going to testify, I was enjoying my sin thoroughly. If they was miserable in their sin, they should have partied with us. Because we had it going on for a season. Until what you sowed came back in a harvest. And then you realized that you had taken it too far. But I want to ask you a question because this is what God told Moses. He said, put the barriers up because what's the difference between who you are and who they are? If there's no barrier. What is the difference between the church and the world if there's no boundary? What's the difference in the believer and the unbeliever if there's no boundary? If there's no standard? If there's nothing that we stand for and say, this is as far as I'm willing to go. I'm not going over there. I, listen, you cute, but as long as you over, y'all not going to help me. I'm glad you offered me that business opportunity, but as long as you are over there, I ha- this is as far as I can come. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you thought, thought enough of me to offer me that or to entice me with that. But listen, this is, this is it. I, God told me to put up a boundary. He didn't put it up himself. He said, you put up a standard that you're not willing to cross. And some of you need to hear this word because if you're going to grow in God, you're going to have to learn that barriers are protection. They are a blessing. Amen. So I am the Moses of my house. And I could care less what the other kids at school get to do. 
Because I don't adjust my barriers based on what's popular. Y'all not going to help me? See, they can set their barrier up any way they want to. And they can let their kids go all the way over there. But as for me and my house, because if parents don't set up some kind of standards, don't be surprised when the kids have no boundaries. And the kids won't like it. I'm going to say it again. Your kids won't like it. And you're just going to have to say, you know what? This is our standard right here. And as long as you want to play, that's as far as you can play. <laughs> as long as you want to be happy, you can be happy all the way up to that line. But the minute you think you're going over there, this says you're not allowed to go past that standard. And if you're going to live in this house, if you're going to live under my roof, that's as far as we go around here. My oldest daughter, when she was about 16, she was smelling herself. She may be watching this morning. If she is, hi, honey. She was smelling herself. She said, I'll just leave then. I said, where are you going? And what are you, how are you going to get there? Because that car out there that you drive, check the title. My name's on it. All them clothes that I bought, you can leave them too. I'll, I'll grant you the ones you got on your back. She suddenly rethought that maybe my standards wasn't so hard for her to deal with. Because getting outside the boundaries means you lose the blessing that remains. Uh-huh. And, and, and yet, you've you, you got to understand where I'm coming from because I had to fight for these boundaries. I had to fight. Listen, I'm not judging anybody. But when my kid tells me they're going somewhere, if they, look, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging the people that they go to school with. But if my kid comes to me and says, I want to go to this person's house and that person's house. Listen, if they're drinking over there, nope, sorry. Sorry. Not, if they're partying, if they're having, if they're having a get-together with kids and there ain't no parents there, I'm sorry. Our standard is, because I fought for this standard. I fought, I prayed. I fought the devil for this standard. And I will not move it because it makes you less popular. If you're married, you better have some standards. You better put some boundaries up. And yet, you got to protect your marriage. But listen, if you're single, you definitely better have some boundaries. You better take these. Oh, y'all want to go out? Okay, let's go. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you want to go out on a date? You're awful cute, but here. Uh, understand, understand something. <laughs> this here is going to keep me out of the back seat. <laughs> this, this here, this, this, is a, this is a no trespassing zone right here. See, I, I love you and all, but if you want to put a ring on it, then we can take these things down. But until then, this is, this is as good as it's going to get. You <laughs> You better understand the difference between life and death is on the other side of them boundaries. And when the world isn't black and white anymore, you can't trust the government or anybody else to protect you. You have to put up some standards yourself. I can't tell you that drinking is going to send you to hell. But what I can tell you is I have some standards in my life. And I'm glad I don't wake up with hangovers no more. I'm glad my car ain't in the ditch no more. I'm glad I don't wake up with bloody knuckles wondering who did I fight last night. 
I've been there, and because I put some standards, y'all not going to help me now. It's getting real in here now. In my marriage, we have established barriers. Anybody that's came to me for marriage counseling, you know this barrier. Divorce, that word, the D word, it's on that side. Because if you let it through here, you'll entertain it. So you have to put that word, if you want to save the marriage, you've got to put that word over here because we ain't touching that. We're going to do whatever we can within the recesses of the boundaries to save the marriage, and divorce can't come across that line. There are movies that is okay for the world, but you ought to have on that side. There's some books and some websites that if you are a believer trying to grow in Christ, are okay for the world if they want to do it, but you ought to be over here going, I wonder what they're doing over there. Oh, I don't need that. <laughs> told you it's going to get personal. I told you I was going to irritate you. You turn, dummy. Jesus tells us in the New Testament, if you love me, keep my commandments. God was a little more blunt in the Old Testament. I set before you two choices, life and death. Choose life, dummy. That's not God, that's pastor. He didn't call you a dummy. But it's all about being ready. Listen to what he said. He said, put the standards up, put the boundaries up. Why? Because the trumpet was going to sound. And anybody that was on the wrong side was going to die. My job is to get you trumpet ready. So when the trumpet sounds, you're on the right side of the boundary and the Bible says God will come up and you, God will come down and you will go up. And if that's not 1 Thessalonians 4, I don't know what is. So we started this morning's message with a rich young ruler who said, I want something new. And Jesus said, if you want something new, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to leave on this side? If, if you want fullness of life, listen, I wish I could tell you that serving God was so easy because He loves you so much that He just saves you and then just lets you do whatever measure of debauchery you want to. But the truth is, He wants you to put standards up. And He wants you to live behind the standards. Does that mean we walk around perfect? I hope not. Or I'm out. I'm disqualified. What it means is I have standards. I grew, up, I grew up on a farm. A lot of you probably didn't. But can I tell you, if you ever want a wake-up call, get up close to an electric fence. Not only did I grow up on a farm, I grew up with a mean older brother who knew I didn't know and understand what electric fences was capable of. And he had me do some things that little boys do. And I got lit up. And he laughed and laughed and laughed. You know what I have discovered about the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is like an inside electric fence. That I can get outside this boundary if I want to. God won't strike me dead just by crossing. He said, he said you won't die until I come down. Did you notice that? He said, you, you can survive out, out here unless somebody catches you and then they're supposed to stone you to death. But he said, you won't die until I come back. In other words, I can come to church on Sundays. 
And on Monday through Friday through Saturday, be out here. Get my swerve on. And then what? I'm okay. I'm cool. Until the trumpet sounds. My job as pastor is to get you trumpet ready. It's not that you're never going to step out the boundary, but the Holy Ghost is like an inside electric fence to me. I still get outside the boundary. <gasps> Did pastor say that? That's right. I'm an ordained bishop, and I still get outside the boundaries that I have set for myself. I get outside the boundaries of the Word of God on occasion. But I got this thing inside of me that just goes off. It kind of shocked me. You know you shouldn't have said that. And I'm like, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And the voice comes back and says, this is Jesus. Because sometimes I just want to tell somebody a thing or two. And I do. And then I hear that, that little shock goes off inside of me. The Holy Spirit checks me. You're not supposed, you know you ain't supposed to carry on like that. Hush down in there. I'm feeling myself. And I'll be all right out here. As long as I don't get too comfortable. And I don't forget where I belong. We had a dog when I was a kid that wouldn't stay on the porch. Kept going over to the neighbors. About a month or two into that little experience, you know what my dad started calling that dog? My neighbor's dog. You got a dog that won't stay on the porch. It's probably not your dog. I think sometimes we got a bunch of strays in the church. Y'all not going to help me. We got a bunch of strays in the church that hang out around the church, but they don't really belong to the master. So I want to ask you this morning, before I let you go, what are you willing to give up so you can have the life God has in mind for you? He told the rich young ruler, if you want a new life, you have to be willing to let go of the old. And some of you under the sound of my voice, this is ministered directly to where you're living. What are you so full of? You got your iPhone? You got to delete some pictures before you can take new pictures? Because you're full? You're full of old stuff that had value back then. And in order to get the new value that you're trying to add to your life, you're going to have to delete some stuff. I know the Holy Spirit is ministering to somebody. What do you, what do you have to get rid of? Some of you need to go in your phone right now. Don't wait. You need to go in your phone right now and delete some contacts. Because you know good and well they are not on this side of the boundary. Some of you, when you get to work tomorrow, you need to go to your boss and say, I apologize. Everybody else was talking about you. I joined in, and as a Christian, that's okay for them. But I have higher standards, and I need to tell you I'm sorry. I shouldn't have participated in that. Some of you need to leave here and go out to lunch with your spouse and look at them in the eye and say, I haven't been treating you right. I've been waiting for God to change you. But I realize that I have some boundaries myself that I've been crossing thinking that you're all wrong and I'm all right, I need you to please forgive me. You say, Pastor, I can't do that. Then you're not willing to give up. You're like the, the young ruler who had, he wanted a new life, but he wasn't willing to let go. And then some of you, some of you are sitting in this room this morning, and you are so burdened with the mistakes that you have made, 
you had an affair, you, 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 had, a, you had sexual perversion, you had an addiction, you were a thief, you were a liar, you broke up somebody else's home, you broke up your home, you weren't a good parent, you are an absentee father, you was a bad mother, and you have never let go of the pain of the stuff that drew you to church and you love Jesus but you have held on to the guilt and the shame and the remorse let it go release it in the name of Jesus it is not serving you it's harming you it is too heavy for you to carry let it go in order for you to receive what God has for you you have to release pain that you've been sitting in church. You've been sitting in church and you've been clapping your hands. You love the songs. You like the message. You get inspired by the Holy Ghost. But you have been holding on. Some of you have been doing it for years. I can, I just feel this in my spirit. Some of you have been doing this for years. You've been holding on to regret and remorse and, and shame and guilt. Let it go. Release it. Because when you open your hand and you let that go, do you know what God's going to fill your hands with? Joy of your salvation. He's going to fill you with a newfound happiness that you didn't know you could have. But the enemy has been clubbing you over the head with your guilt. Release it. In the name of Jesus, I prophesy that somebody is receiving release right now. In the, in the name of Jesus. Would you just close your eyes all over this room? Let it go. Can, can, can you do it? Can, Listen, if this is ministering to you, clench your fist, hold it up, and then just open your hand. Symbolically, I'm letting this go. This is too heavy for me to carry. I made mistakes. My kids suffered because of it. My marriage suffered because of it. My finances have suffered. My health has suffered because of it. But I am not going to carry this out of this room this morning. It is too heavy for me to carry. I'm letting it go. Because I need to receive everything God's got for me. Release the shame, release the guilt, release the addiction, release the hurt. I can't carry this anymore. I can't carry it. It's too heavy. I can't carry this anymore. Has this word ministered to anybody this morning? Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. I've said it my whole ministry, but I never realized it until I had a word like this one down inside of me and I come to this one. God is literally as close as His name. If you call on Him, He shows up. He's not like people that ignore your text, leave them on red. God instantly comes into your life and floods you with good things the moment you speak His name. All he's doing is waiting on you to release what is not valuable so he can put in your hands what you really, really need. And if that is going to be valuable to your life, that's what this sermon series is going to consist of, and it's going to go a long, long time. But I feel like this year, this is what God's building the body of Christ for, is learning how to live relevant faith. 
It's not about walking around speaking in tongues and prophesying over people at Walmart. It's about getting up every day, putting one foot in front of the other, and being better today than I was yesterday. It's about me knowing in whom I have believed, and I'm fully convinced that if he comes back tonight, I'm going with him on the first bus load out because I'm behind the standards. When that trumpet sounds, I am trumpet ready. I feel like that's my mandate this year is to get you trumpet ready. So God bless you this morning, promise of victory. I love you. God loves you. And I pray that you're going to be with us again next Sunday for part two of this series. God bless you.